welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Rorick. Today's episode is brought to you by Silver Shamrock Novelties, now featuring three new Halloween masks for the discerning trick-or-treater. My guest today is an award-winning writer, director, producer, actor, and special effects wunderkind. Starting at the age of 12 with a little help from Cinemagic Magazine and the VHS camera his parents got him, he began making movies with his friends and he has not slowed down since. After winning an international effects contest held by Famous Monsters of Filmland Magazine at the tender age of 15, he has gone on to direct 18 movies and do makeup and special effects on over 100 films, including the movies Evil Tunes, Jackhammer, Terror Tunes 1 through 4, Blood Feast 2, All You Can Eat, Hunting for Herschel, a television remake of Humanoids. Ah, let's start that one over again, Dylan. A television remake of Humanoids from the Deep, The Young, the Gay, and the Restless, Wishmasters 3 and 4, the documentary Frankenfake, which aims a critical eye on the reality TV show Face Off, and more than a few movies with the word Amityville in the title. He has worked on movies featuring some of the most legendary names in the world of cult films. Names like Brink Stevens, Forrest J. Ackerman, Eric Roberts, Linnea Quigley, Larry Cohen, Isaac Hayes, Robert Forster, Lance Henriksen, Ginger Lynn, oh, Ginger Lynn, Lou Temple, Bai Ling, oh, Bai Ling, David Carradine, Artie Johnson, Trent Haga, Eddie Deason, oh, Eddie Deason, Michael Berryman, Barbara Dare, Terry Kaiser, Robert Quarry, Herschel fucking Gordon Lewis, and of course, Dick Miller, the namesake for this podcast as well as former podcast guests Fred Olin Ray, Lloyd Kaufman, and Debbie Rashawn. Please welcome the man who turned John Goodman into Curly Howard and who, like many of us, had his entire life changed by Godzilla, Joe Castro. It's such an honor and a privilege to be here today, Dylan. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And thank you for that beautiful introduction. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad to do it. Yeah, and uh, just want to let you know, I really, uh, truly appreciate from the bottom of my heart what you do for the independent cinema and independent cinema world. Uh, you make the world a better place because of what you do. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks. Gosh, I'm a, I'm, I'm the Klimt, as they say. <laughs> well, um, I mean, there's so much to talk about. You, your credits are insane. Um, but before we even get into those, let's back up a little bit. Now, you as a child you're in San Antonio, Texas, you were really into dinosaurs, wanted to be a paleontologist until one movie changed your life. What was that? That's a great question. That movie that changed my world forever was Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. You know, when I was seven years old, it was the summer. My mother was a school teacher, so we had she had the summer off, and uh, she would always take a trip with her teacher friends each mm-hmm. summer, and she would go somewhere. And she went on a cruise with her teacher friend. So my father was babysitting me on a weekend. And during the summertime is when uh, they stock up on firewood. And we sell firewood all the way up to, through the winter. Uh-huh. And so my fa- father was in, was in um, the backyard cutting firewood. And I was seven. He said, son, stay inside. I don't want you to get hurt You know, while I'm doing this. Uh, I'm going to put this on for you on TV. Watch it. I think you're going to love it. You know, like, like any good father, he mm-hmm. knew what I loved. He knew what I <laughs> appreciated. And... Uh, Sure enough, it was Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. It was the first time I had ever sat and watched a movie by myself. And so I, there was in our living room watching the Saturday afternoon creature feature. It was like one, one o'clock in the afternoon. And um, I watched that movie. And when the movie was over, 
my father had come in to see me sitting there watching the credits roll. And I said, dad, how, how, how do they do that? How do they do that? And he said, that is special effects, son. That's how they do that. That's special effects. And we watched the credits roll and there, there was, and I said, um, <laughs> getting a little choked up. <laughs> I said, uh, I want to do that, dad, you know? And he said, um, you can, you know, you can do that, you know? And, um, um what a beautiful thing i know you've oof. you've said your dad was your biggest cheerleader and obviously yeah. you know just to, even at that age to have him just say yeah of course you can do that yeah that's got to be a huge boost oh yeah my, my father was an amazing man he uh, passed away in 1997 from a, a, a horrible uh car accident oh uh, joe not, i'm so not, sorry not that's but just awful. like a quarter of a mile from our house uh growing up in south texas and um uh yeah you know and uh, but he's still here he's still here with me and you know i know yeah. he he sees everything that's going on and um you know what well, and this is how much of an influence he was on me uh so before i came out to los angeles i came out in 1989 it was right after high school i um i was coming i was going out to do something and he was coming in the house from a day's worth of work and he knew that I was going out to do something, you know, whatever it was, going out with friends or going out to make a short film or whatever. And he stopped me. He said, son, promise me that you're never going to stop chasing your dream. And I said, I promise you, dad. So I uphold that promise. And every time I think about quitting or I think about, you know, why I'm here doing what I'm doing, having the opportunity, having the opportunity to do all the wonderful things I do. I think about that promise I made to my father. And that's the key. To what, a, what a wonderful thing just to say to, to I mean, you know, at that point, what you were, you were nearing 20 and, you know, that's a huge change of life for anybody. Um, and, you know, to have a father just out of the blue, just say, Hey, by the way, keep it yeah. up. You're doing yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. just great. <laughs> it's yeah. wonderful to hear. Yeah. 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 He's amazing. And his favorite movie was, um, a movie uh, that starred, um, uh, David Carradine mm -hmm. as the evil villain, uh, with, um, uh, Chuck Norris as the 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 hero. It was a movie called Lone Wolf McQuaid. Have yeah, seen, have you ever seen Lone oh. Wolf McQuaid? So so every time someone would come over, to I the mean, house, I run yeah, a cult yeah. movie podcast. I've seen okay, it. Okay. So so every time someone would come over to the house, my dad would take out his VHS of Lone Wolf McQuaid and put it on. He had to show all of his friends, whatever. Yeah. And um, uh, when I worked on Evil Tunes, I got to work with David Carradine. Yes. So I yeah. sent home a picture of me with David Carradine and Fred Olin Ray. Oh, cool! And you know, it, it just you know, my, it, my I I know my dad was just you know blown away, and he just was sure so proud. Yeah. How yeah. cool to be able, you know, I'm I'm glad he lived long enough at least to be able to see your success and and be able to share in it like that, and uh, you know, I Lone Wolf McQuaid, of course, you know that's the biggie. That's Norris and and Carradine facing yeah. off two different yeah, yeah. styles, one real, one kind of fake. It's gonna be a big... <laughs> so yeah i can't tell you he must have watched it over a hundred uh, like literally a hundred times at vhs i just i got I some movies like it. that i get it uh, and, and I, I bonded with like i when i was 12 i bonded like totally like cemented like bonded with my father uh over the movie uh john carpenter's remake of the thing uh, it, was, it was it was christmas in 1982 and uh i guess it had come out that summer or maybe mm. it was the summer that summer before or that summer i think it was 82 yeah yeah it was, it was so. the summer of 82 it came out and um it, 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 most people don't know this but it, it bombed it, it mm -hmm. didn't it, it, it bombed at the box, box, box yeah i remember going to see poltergeist mm -hmm. uh that same year uh that summer and i opened the you know you know how you i when i was young you would buy a ticket for one and stay and then you'd sneak into another theater and see another sure. movie and um <laughs> and so so i remember opening the door to the thing 
you know, knowing it was rated R, I couldn't go in there. And, um, uh, but there was no, it was empty, the theater, there was no one in the theater. It was, you know, so if I went and sat in there, I would immediately be outed. Right. So I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't stay and watch it. But uh, my dad and I uh, saw, uh, rented the, the, the thing in Christmas of 82, it came out on VHS and um, uh, we took it home and watched it together. And when we were done watching it, he then invited all of his brothers who lived across a country highway over to see it. And then all we watched it again. And then after we watched it the second time, he then invited the rest of the family on both my mother and my father's side to come over. There were like 30 of us sitting in our little country living room watching John Carpenter's remakes. So awesome. The thing three times in a row the first day I saw it on VHS. Fantastic. Then, yeah. That's great. That you can't, you can't make that stuff up. That's right. You can't make that stuff up. That's the way it went down. So amazing. you were so like we're practically the same age. I was born in 72. So we're like two years apart. Yeah. So we both kind of came up through that era where suddenly you could be underage and watch these movies because we had VHSs. And so yeah. we could go to the video store. Were you at like a video store rap? Were you just there walking the aisles? And, oh, yeah. 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 There, there, there was a Well, one of um, there was a, a video store that was close to our home. And the man that ran the video store also had like a a, a, a linear editing uh, booth in the back of his cool. video store where he edited like commercials and mm -hmm. did work for other people for the local television programming and whatnot. And so I befriended him and that's how I learned how to edit through this man. And we would pay him, I don't know, my, I think they paid him like $20 an hour and he would, I would edit my home movies. There. So I would literally shoot my home movies like doing a take you know, action, this kind of thing. And then I would take my raw footage in there and I would edit on a half inch to half inch uh, lin uh, li linear, not non like today would you edit non-linear, which means right. you can move it around anywhere you want. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, you had to edit it in the, in the order you were going to edit it. And then if you didn't know what you were going to put someplace, you'd have to leave a specific amount of time then you have to <laughs> fill it in anyways. But yeah, that's how, that's how that went down. Yeah. It was a kind of a video uh, junkie, video store junkie. Cool. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, you know, I was talking to um, Mark Mark Shostom about uh, oh, yeah. the music video um, "Psychotherapy" by the Ramones. You know, and mm -hmm. talking about we're talking about kind of like like how it was kind of like a bad boys kind of era for us growing up with the VHS and whatnot. Do you remember that "Psychotherapy" was actually banned from MTV? It was the first music video to be banned from MTV? I I so grew graphic. up on a horse farm. Okay, oh, we, had, okay. we had, we didn't have a cable. We had the antenna on the outside okay. of the house with the big uh, box. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I grew up on a goat. I grew up on a goat ranch, but we had the VHS. Okay. But I just remember how much of a bad boy I felt when I got like a pirated version of the "Psychotherapy" by the Ramones and was able to watch it. You know, and then, yeah. what a badge of honor to be like be responsible for the first video that was banned on mtv because of your special effects so kudos to, to mark for that yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely cool <laughs> what was your local movie theater down there in, in san antonio that's a good question uh well you know i'm old and I, the movie theater that played the the movies i liked there were two of them there was the ingram six mall and then there was also a movie theater called the Aztec Three Cinema. And the Aztec Three Cinema had three screens. It was downtown San Antonio, mm -hmm. and it was notoriously known for drugs and drug dr drug dealers and prostitutes. But sure. they played the most amazing movies there. Like I literally saw a double feature of Beetlejuice with the Deadly Spawn on the movie. That's screen. amazing. Yeah, uh, and I, I saw. Um, I think I saw. Um, 
I, I, I don't remember what the mainstream film was, but I saw like The Slayer. You know that movie, The Slayer, yeah. starring Slayer, the band Slayer. I yeah. saw that movie in the theater when it was released. I saw movies like I actually saw uh, Gates of Hell, Sitting of the Living Dead in the movie theater when it was released. How cool. I saw things like The Company of Wolves. Mausoleum. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, I saw the Toxic Avenger in the movie theater the weekend yeah. it was released. And I he, he, I read where you you'd said that San Antonio for a while was the heavy metal capital, so they kind of they kind of became the the hot spot for horror openings. Yes, they, they, well, what it was was it was a test market. Like okay. I literally saw an unfinished version of the original Fright Night as a test market to test market. It was like it, it even had like even a little bit more special effects and a little bit more of this, but I saw it as a test screening uh, at the Westlake mall. And uh, they, you know, oh, they, they handed wow. out, they handed out a piece of paper at the local high school or whatever. Come see uh -huh. this movie. It's not yet rated. It could be rated R, this kind of thing. And I got to see an uncut version of Fright, the original Fright Night. I also got to see the original uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 with Toby Hooper. I saw that. Uh, I saw scene, that yeah. in one of your interviews. Yeah, How I, fucking I, cool I, was that? Yeah, with Toby Hooper. It, it was its it was his premiere screening at uh, uh it was it was a uh, I don't remember the name of the theater but it was a six it was a big theater in the right in the middle of San Antonio uh mm -hmm. the corner of uh, Loop 410 and Loop 1604 and uh, or or or, or I10 and 410 where the uh, the highways okay. meet. It's still there. There's a huge giant theater. But oh, cool. uh, um, yeah, Do they still uh, show movies. Oh yeah, no, it's it's it's, oh, it's, like, it's like a big wonderful. spot for movies. But um, yeah, you know, it was a it was a really good time for cinema. You know, mm -hmm. I got to see all the films that you would not normally be able to see today because in a theater because you know you just they didn't you know whatever they didn't have the the financing behind it to do advertising to warrant right. it going to a movie screen but yeah you know uh, there, there's a there's a movie that, that i remember seeing in high school that i took everybody to see i probably saw it five times i saw your hunter from the future fuck in yes the, in, in the movie theater now, who can say that who can say that i saw that I, I was like you know i would like you know first of all i'm an openly gay man and so and you, got Reb, go, you got Reb, you yeah, got Reb Brown in a loincloth just strutting around. I'll be like, uh, I'm, I'm, it came out my senior year, so I had a car. It was my senior year in high school. I'd be like, everybody, get in the car. We're going to go see your Hunter from the Future. We're going to skip out of six period. We're going to, you know, so that way we can be done with it when school is over and everybody can go home to their parents and no one will know what we did. And uh, that's but, one yeah. of those movies, like the lore behind that film, because it was like a four-hour miniseries that was shot in Italy that they decided, Oh, you know what? We're never going to show this. We'll just make a movie out of it. Okay. <laughs> Cut okay. it down. So yeah. It's but, such you know, a weird but, film. <laughs> but it's like they were doing Jurassic Park way before Jurassic Absolutely, Park. Absolutely. Yeah. Full scale oh, mechanical great. dinosaurs. That big fight that between him and the Triceratops is just Am nuts. Amazing. It's, it's amazing, so much yeah. fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Listeners, I'm nerding oh, no, out. Yeah, we, we could go on forever. I'm about gonna just nerd out about your hunter of the future. future. Yeah, I mean, I like I saw Gates of Hell, City of the Living Dead in the movie theater when it was released. I was 13 years old. My cousin, who's my second cousin, who actually really introduced me into the world of like was that Eddie? Horror. Eddie, Eddie, and Ernest Paris. They were twin yeah. brothers, and mm -hmm. Eddie was uh, uh was kind of like my mentor for for two like two full summers, and um like I literally saw every horror movie ever made on a pirated VHS, a half inch VHS tape uh, in two summers. Okay. Uh, when I was when I was like 12 and 13 years old, Eddie had he just gave me his full collection. I would take cool. like 11 to 20 movies home every weekend. Was he would... one of those dudes that would just was like somehow on that underground network of you just met people across the country <laughs> via mail? 
well, and well, you'd swap tapes with them well, and stuff. Well, what happened was Eddie and I uh, uh, met at a family reunion where uh -huh. like it was, there was like, you know, 60 people there and I had never met him. And uh, I was at the kids table and he came over and sat at the kids table. He was like, I think he was 33 when I was 11. Okay. And, uh, and uh, he had, you know, he was recently married, but his, his, his wife at the time had lupus and she couldn't have children. He wanted, right. yeah. he wanted, a, he wanted children so bad. So I kind of became his adopted uh, child for, for, for those summers. And uh, we had a lot in common. And so he would take, he would go see all these movies and he wanted cool. someone to go with him. And so I would sit there in the theater, you know, 12 years old, watching you know remember that then gates of hell when that guy gets the drill through his head and it comes out and he's comes like, out the other side. It. yeah he's pushing it and it's like nah, nah, and it's just like this long drawn out scene before it happens <laughs> i you know i was the kid i literally had to put my hand over my eyes uh, of course he, he, was, he was just giggling the whole the whole time you know so um amazing amazing good times yeah. it's it's cool how that works you know if you've got to have that older brother or the older cousin or somebody for me, it was my older sister who kind of just like when she went to college and came back and it was a new world of music for me and a new world of movies and, and just all books and everything for me. So having that older influence is always a good thing, Absolutely. especially in smaller towns. Um, being able to have that can really open the world up for you. Uh, Eddie introduced me to a lot of things, you know, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He actually introduced me to um, uh, Cinemagic. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is the which was the the effects artist uh, magazine. Yeah, and yeah. that was that was where I was able to uh, communicate with other effects artists all mm -hmm. over the country because if you got a subscription to Cinemagic, they would let you put like two lines in the back of the magazine, yeah. Yeah. three lines with your name and phone number. And Fangoria <laughs> did that used to do that too. Yeah, they don't do it anymore. Fangoria, I don't nope. know if they do it. No, they don't do it anymore. But we've talked about years. we've talked about it before with other guests where it's like face off or face off. Jesus Christ, Dylan, don't look at your notes. Fangoria. Uh, was one of those. That's where I met so many people from the back of Fangoria magazine. That that's how I got uh, like a, a. I talk about it a lot on here. That's where I got a, a taped over copy of Two Thousand Maniacs. Okay, that was you know it was like a tape of a tape of a tape, and it was staticky and it, ugly looking, and I loved every second about it because I'd never. I just only something I'd heard about at that point. And so some dude swapped it with me. Yeah. So. It's like, so you're like in a bad boys club when you get yeah, it. Because, it's yeah. Awesome. Where else you get it from? Yeah. And did you trade it to somebody else so you could get fall break and watch that and hear what all the fuss is about? You know, all the things you couldn't see in theaters and the VHS stores weren't going to have were just right. this weird underground before the dark web. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely correct. Yep. Yeah. So you're growing up in San Antonio. You obviously immediately are a horror kid you're diving into that monster kid you're digging all of that um like i say by the age of 15 you're winning an international contest and you're meeting people i i, I saw where you had um you ended up calling tom savini you just got his name through the operator got his uh, number and, and and just called him at home yeah yeah for, for, Which, for 411 pittsburgh you can you can just call him on the phone how, how old were you when you did that I, I was at least like 12 or 13. I was 12 or 13 years old. That's the, that's the age to do it. Cause you don't have yeah. balls when you're an adult to do it at that age. That's yeah. awesome. You know? Yeah. 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 And he was, I, you know, I have nothing but love for Tom. He was mm -hmm. an amazing um, influence in my life. It still is to this day. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, I'm, and he's I've mentored countless people all over the world since the beginning of his career. And I just want to give a shout out to him. And all the all that he is hasn't been credited for. It's you know, everything everybody's doing these days in slasher movies, Tom invented for us. 
and we yeah. have taken and mutated it and you know put our own spin on it but it all came from tom and and i just want tom to know that that we appreciate him and we adore him and love him and uh and thank him for all that he's done for us that's great yeah how was he when you talked to him at, at age 12 or 13 he was very professional with me he explained things in perfect detail mm -hmm. he wanted he wanted me to understand he taught me how to uh load a uh, 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 a chemical fire extinguisher and put oh. uh, uh put uh, compressed air in it and yeah. do blood do blood work do blood work with it yeah. decapitations mm -hmm. he did a step-by-step -step, uh, tutorial with me over the phone of how to do that how cool yeah that's very cool yeah. that's um there's always great stories about that because that you can't really do that now but like dick van dyke just found stan laurel's number in the phone book when he moved to la and just called him yeah and um, you know uh there's there's so many great stories like that i, I love hearing those how cool so you're doing all this and when when really did you start moving toward working in film as a professional let's say you're getting paid for it yeah well i mean if you really want to be i mean if i'm being completely and utterly honest i was mm -hmm. 15 years old when i got my first paycheck mm -hmm. and it was uh something in san antonio texas it was um uh, the local pbs network uh had uh, something, I, I don't even remember the name of the show or whatnot, but someone hired me to do uh, a series of makeups on a young man, on a, like, mm -hmm. a, like a teenage teenager, to make him age over a period of time. And okay. uh, I did like probably like six or seven different different ages on him. And it was just, you know, drawing lines and drawing deeper lines and adding gray hair and mm -hmm. adding a beard and then the wrinkled skin and this kind of thing. But I did six or seven different stages for them for the... Uh, for the cool. this PBS show, and they paid me. They wrote me my first check. You know, I got paid for for what'd doing you, that. What'd you make for that one? I don't remember. I think uh, it was okay. like maybe like seventy five or hundred dollars. And it was hey, you know, at which fifteen, is, that's pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah, it was like seventy five or hundred dollars. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. And then, at what point did you decide? All right, this is this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. What was your next step out of San Antonio at that point? Yeah, just drove. Well, what happened was uh, uh, someone that I was corresponding with uh, on um, uh, through over the telephone and uh, through snail mail uh, mm -hmm. said, uh, hey, Joe, come out to L.A. I have a job and I'm trying to crew it up right now and we'll, we could use your help. So uh, a friend of mine, uh, another friend of mine who lived in San Antonio, who was interested in doing special effects work, him and I decided that we would pack everything we owned in our vehicle in a vehicle and we would drive out to L.A. How, how old had, were you at this point? I was eight, 18. I was 18, 18 okay. going on 19. Okay. So, no, I was, I was 19 already. I was 19. OK. And a uh, year out of high school. And um, I uh, we, my my family bought me a little truck, a little red Mazda. And he had a little truck. He had a Nissan. Or maybe it was a, yeah, I think it was a Nissan. And we drove out, we drove out here. He pulled a U-Haul and we had our twin beds in there. Uh, and then, and just our clothes and, you know, so what special effects stuff we were going to bring with us. And um, we drove out to LA and we got here and we drove straight to my friend's apartment who was going to hire us to say hello and let him know we were really there. And he opened the door and said, oh, hey, it's great to see you. Oh, the job fell through. We don't have any work. <laughs> I was like, you know, it would have been good if you called There's us before no we made business the, the like 20, business. Yeah, before we made the 24-hour drive here to get here to work for you on a Sunday, Monday. You know, just like <laughs> I should have known at that moment that that person was probably going to continue doing that. But right. somehow that meant that person stayed in my life for another 32 years or 23 <laughs> years before I finally got rid of that person. Anyways, <laughs> you know, the good times and bad times, though, we live and learn. 
um and uh oh that person was um i'm not gonna say any names anyways he, he but uh but a lesson learned i did work with that person a lot and uh you know we we did have some good times over the years and um uh but i did eventually uh, uh you know i met up with brink stevens and fred Olin ray who i had met previously when i came out here when i was 15 when i won the special effects contest you were okay. talking about so i kind of had a little bit of a connection there cool to, so yeah and I, that's where that's when I got to work on uh, key evil tunes by myself. Teenage, yeah, teenage, teenage Exorcist. I keyed that show. So let's and... let's talk about evil tunes for a minute. That's okay. um, we had I had Fred Olin Ray on here. Um, uh, he's actually going to be coming back to uh, pimp his new book. Um, I'm very excited. I this is like I'll just get surreal for a moment with you. Um, kind of like you talking to Sam Savini when I started this little podunk podcast as a passion project if if i 14 year old me had known i'd be talking to fred olin ray or joe castro oh. or about this sort of stuff i would have just you're full of shit dylan but <laughs> um but that's one evil tunes uh so that was fred olin ray uh dick miller um Artie johnson Artie johnson oh. <laughs> david yeah. carradine yeah. um just full of people i'm trying to get it pulled up i've got your like IMDb monique, here. I think, yeah i think monique monique gabrielle's in it as well monique i believe Gab so yeah yeah here mm -hmm. let me uh let me open it up yeah i've got your imdb open but it's literally just a ream of titles <laughs> it's so hard to get through yeah so many great people yeah monique gabrielle barbara dare um it, it, that was um as she had started to leave adult the adult industry yeah. and starting to do more main well mainstream as, and, and Madison Stone yeah. is on is on the cover there. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. And she was um, a, she a hardcore adult film actress at the time. Yeah, trying to make her way into mainstream. Yeah, as well as Madison, I believe was in yeah. that one yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what is that like? I, I mean, you you've been in that world a little bit at age fifteen, yeah. but now all of a sudden you're stepping on a set with these people that uh, some of them are absolute legends. I mean, yeah. Dick Miller alone. What yeah. is that like? That's a great question. What was it like for me as a 20 year old working with like Fred Olin Ray and mm -hmm. Dick Miller? Well, I, you know, I'd seen biohazard. I'd seen scalps. Mm -hmm. And um, of course I'd seen Dick Miller in the films that he was in the howling and, you know, those films. And um Fred says, go and put some makeup on the side of Dick's head as if he's dead, a little hole or something. You know, mm -hmm. you, you know, Fred is like, you know, go, 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 go work your magic. And Fred's great at that. You know, <laughs> do, do what you love, do what you do best, because I know it'll be good, son. And I went over there. I didn't know who I was putting it on until I got to the chair and it yeah. was Dick. And I was so nervous. I was shaking. I remember shaking. And Dick said to me, don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous at all. You know. He's like you're doing great, you know, and uh, but I'll never forget that. And and I've you know been able to chat with him about it mm -hmm. and talk with him about it before he died recently. Oh, and, uh, great! You know, and and you know, just this how much he how much of an influence he what he was to me to everything that happened beyond that because of mm -hmm. what of the way he treated me on set that day. That's but, great. Uh, yeah, that was another one of those beautiful moments. You know, there's uh, a great some, picture of you working with him on your website that is just a beautiful pick yeah it, it's, it's just really cool thank you for saying that yeah no it's a precious moment i will never forget that's a very very special man yeah yeah, yeah absolutely obviously i'm a fan um and uh, but also you have david carradine and Artie. i mean Artie johnson is Artie just johnson. such a quirky weird <laughs> yeah. dude anyway <laughs> did you, have you ever seen love at first bite 
Oh, many yeah, times. And, you know, and, he's and the that, Renfield that, in that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, he's Renfield. And I, I that, that evil laugh he does, that that they, they, they had him like do that laugh in the trailer. They played like on television before the movie, you know, and I just, and to see Artie Johnson on set, it just blew yeah. my mind. Yeah, yeah. How amazing. cool. How yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So you get that one under your belt and you keep going and you're starting to make a name for yourself. Um, I mean, again, I'm looking at your IMDb and it's, it's overwhelming. I'm sure it's overwhelming for you to, to go back and look at, you know, and, and you're, you're middle-aged now, you've still got a lot of life ahead of you. And to look back and see everything you've done so far must just be breathtaking at points. It's I'm very blessed. I'm very grateful. And I'm, and I try to remain, remain as humble as possible, you mm-hmm. know, to, to do the process. I know I've done a lot, but like 40 years in, I, I, I feel like I just started. I really yeah. do. I feel like I just finally put my head on straight about five, seven years ago. So what would yeah. you say was the first movie you were on? Let's, let's, Let's talk about as as an FX artist to start uh, with. Yeah. What was the first movie you walked on that set and you were like, "All right, I know what I'm doing now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm that's ready a good to go. One. That's a good question. <laughs> it was probably <laughs> has one it that was has re- it happened yet? <laughs> that's a good. I was, I was like, I was going to say it's probably one of the ones that's recent. Actually, no, I. To be honest with you, like going through like Maya the Demons and the Wishmaster and the Humanoids and. All those uh, you know, power range and all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of, I, I, I don't, you know, the youth is really wasted on the youth, you mm-hmm. know, like it just came at me. I did my job, really didn't think twice about how much of a major impact it was going to have on me. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I walked in on the set on Blood Feast 2 mm-hmm. and I saw Herschel and got to talk with Herschel. Ugh. And then I realized that we were kindred spirits and that. This man was listening to every word I said, and he didn't look at me like I was a child. He looked at me as someone who was going to create something with him. Mm-hmm. And he was um, very passionate about what he was doing. And he was going to delegate authority to me to do the job. And, I, cool. and at that moment, everything kind of like settled. And I realized I was I was in the right spot and I was doing the right thing. You know? Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. That's I, I hope that answers the question. I, that answer question. It does. Yeah. Yeah, that was two thousand two. Yeah. I was going to hold off on Herschel, but you brought him up, so let's just dive in. We've I've had um I had Bill Rabain here, um the film director out of Wisconsin, who worked. Uh, he he started Herschel took over Monster Agogo from him. Okay. Uh, way back when, uh, and I had Lisa Petrucci here as well, okay. who something, something weird video. video. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about a lot about Dave Friedman, of course, who was Herschel's partner and things. Yes, I've not yeah. really had a chance to talk to somebody who really just spent time with Herschel Gordon Lewis, though. And you're the first one, and I want to know literally everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Her- Herschel. Herschel is one of these men that. Um, he doesn't even have to try and explain things about his craft to you. He is so into what he does and he does it with such love and precision and skill that even if he tried not to show you what to do, he would end up showing you what to do correctly. <laughs> does that make sense? It's like he cannot help but but teach something amazing. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, he, he taught, I, I, I've said this many times, he taught me how to be a better man. He taught me how to be a greater effects artist. 
He taught me how to be, you know, uh, the man I am today. In, and, in what ways? What are some specifics on that? Well, okay, here's 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 a, a great example. On the set of Blood Feast 2, um, I, I was the only one from, from the West Coast. And okay. they were already shooting the movie when I got there. So they were two hours ahead. Okay. And when I arrived, I had a very, very, very short window to do the effects. Because the company they were going to use decided that they weren't going to make enough money. And they dropped the ball on them and didn't, didn't take the job. So okay. the company that I was working for at the time, this is a little hypothetical, but this is from a little bit of, of, of knowledge that I have now. I kind of believe they wanted to see if the movie would fail. They were like, mm. because they were upset that they weren't getting the money that they asked for. <clears throat> so they gave okay. it to me. They gave it to me thinking, oh, give it to Joe. Joe won't, 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 won't do it right. They, they won't give it to him. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know that I was going to like pour my heart and soul into it and give them everything that they wanted. And so um, I got, I think I had like less than a week to prepare. Wow. Before I, got, I had less than a week. I had to make all the body parts, the fake heads, the brain cut open, you mm-hmm. know, the torsos. I, I I found a girl who had a generic build. I was well. I, I want to say generic. I mean, a very 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 familiar build for yeah, all women. Sure. Beverly Beverly Lynn, the star of Terror Kings oh, One. Yeah, Be- yeah. Beverly came over to the house. I cast her. I cast her tor- entire torso. Mm-hmm. I cast her face. I cast her uh, uh, arms. I cast her feet. I think and. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I poured them up. And then what I did was I put the money to good use. I paid Jordu Shell, who is a who is a, an acclaimed uh, uh, special effects makeup artist at the time. Uh, you know, he, he, des- he's, he designed like the alien baby for the Alien 4. Uh, okay. He's done yeah. a, lot, a lot of work. Anyways, mm-hmm. I paid him to paint the pieces. So I paid him well. So I would arrive on set with these beautifully masterful painted yeah. pieces. And um, uh, so anyhow... I arrived on set. I was very tired and they immediately wanted to have a production meeting with the entire cast and crew the next morning. And I slept in because I was just, I've been working nonstop. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I arrived at the production meeting, almost an hour late, the producers just reamed me in front of everybody and screamed at me and said, if you're, you know, they said something like, you, you take your fucking prima sorry take your prima donna ass back oh, you can say fuck i don't care we'll put you on a plane <laughs> right now if you think you're such a prima donna blah, blah 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 and i said to the director in front of herschel or the producer in front of herschel i said i apologize if i would have known it was going to be this much trouble i absolutely 100 would have made sure i was here but i didn't think that you were going to be discussing anything with me because of what y'all said earlier and that's why i wasn't here i apologize and the man, the producer turned around and walked away. And then Herschel came over to me and he said, that's exactly how I would have handled it, Joe. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and that, you know, he's saying, yes, this is yeah. how we do it, Joe. Yes, Joe, you're okay. Thank you. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. That's how, you know, and like, you know, he, he, he just, um, yeah, there you go. He would shrug stuff off. He taught me, taught me some of the business side of, mm-hmm. of how, doing things. And um, he just was, uh, Someone that I could always count on to tell me the truth, regardless of, you know, I, he didn't have anything attached to it. He didn't need or want anything from me. So he was there to always tell me the truth, you know. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, a I, couple of, go ahead. Oh, I, just, I, I mean, I, there, I have nothing to add other than he's just such a, uh, a mythic character and, <laughs> and legend in the, the world of film. Uh Especially the movies I'm into, exploitation and sexploitation, and those weird nudie cuties he was doing, and then of course the the splatter films he made. Are, 
genre changing films as low budget and hard and obscure as they are they change the world of cinema right absolutely and and two fun facts that i always like to put out there whenever i'm talking about herschel one is you know joe bob briggs will 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 back me up on this because joe bob is the first person to actually state this in, in a public forum uh herschel is the man who invented the slasher genre mm-hmm. and most people will say it's psycho right Psycho no. is, not, is not psycho is not a slasher film it's a thriller mm-hmm. it's not a slasher because a slasher film is defined as a deranged killer stalking innocent victims one by stalking innocent victims one by mm-hmm. one and killing them in a horrific on-screen death and then only to die at the hands of the hero or heroine in the, in the end of the movie by an even more horrific on-screen right. death. That's exactly what happened in Blood Feast. That's Blood Feast. And, yeah. That's Blood Feast. <laughs> and, and, and he exploited blood. He came up with his own blood formula. Mm-hmm. He wrote, directed, edited, composed the music for, and also shot and created all the special effects for Blood Feast. Okay, and until invented. David Friedman, he was just driving around reels in his car and being That's his right. own distributor. Right. I mean, he was he was an incredible. I mean, the word auteur is uh, for me Herschel Gordon Lewis. He he owned everything he did and yeah. did it all himself. Right. Uh, amazing man. I right. you're I'm terribly envious, but also very happy for you that you got to spend time with him and that mm-hmm. he was such a positive influence. He, he and then the, the other fun fact that I always like to brag about is um and this is a little bit of bragging that he divulged to me the original blood formula for blood feast before he died and he he, he gave it to me and I, of course everybody wants to know what it is but I always uh, thought I it was know. just water and red tempera paint honestly no, 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 no. <laughs> and so 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 sometimes when I'm feeling fun I I get a little uh like an, like an Elmer's glue bottle uh-huh. and I will I'll empty it out and I'll I'll put some of his blood formula in in it and take it to set. And use it because it How still works cool. very well sometimes. Yeah, for for on camera, and uh, you know I will uh, bless the set with it and uh, this kind of thing before I do an effect. But uh, very cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's one of my one of my prized possessions is having uh, the original blood piece blood point. How cool! There's Joe Castro, part one. Part two will be out in a couple of weeks. Um, man, getting to geek out about your and uh, Herschel Gordon-Lewis, that was pretty fun. Uh, hey, it's a cool world out there. Halloween's coming up, get out in it. Go trick-or-treating. If you're too old, take your kids. If you don't have kids, well, don't take others, but you know, make sure you give out the full-size candy. While you're out there in the world, hitting the bars, hitting the restaurants, take care of your servers, please, because this is the Walter Baisley Movie House and we do not piss on hospitality. Talk to you soon.